Welcome to the Sufi Reverberations Podcast, where each week, God willing, you will be able to hear a poem, a story, a meditation, and a musical interlude that give expression to one Sufi's perspective concerning the mystical dimension of Islam. My name is Anab Whitehouse, and I will be your host. Although I am not a sheikh, nonetheless I did have the opportunity to spend 16 years in the company of a Sufi saint of the 20th century and by the grace of God, was able to gain a few insights into the nature of the Sufi mystical path through that association. So, without further delay, let's proceed to the essential contents of this episode. Today's selection of floretry is in memory of the teachings of Hazrat Jami. May God be pleased with him. are powerless to praise God, and unless divinity enters into our hearts to raise the station of our awareness, we proceed through life in darkness. What we hear, see, feel, sense, and think are an array of veils that hide presence in plain sight while we drink in the many and pretend we understand what it is to be. When the heart loves divinity, it realizes its nature. Souls discover serenity through longing for their origin. Everything has its discipline. Creation is an outwardly visible expression of truth, while truth is the reality of unseen essence, and the two are really one in all they do. The beloved is quite colorless, so do not become immersed in the bright hues of your life unless you realize that everything is dyed through actions of being. Annihilation of the soul arrives when consciousness is lost to the overpowering pull of the divine supremacy that dominates all that we see. When even awareness of this state absents itself from a slave station, what is left is the bliss of non-being a condition of light that's distinct from the sun. God's majesty is beautiful. Divine beauty is majestic. Created things give bountiful expression to both categories of such qualities perfectly. We are atoms who have believed were been separated from the whole, but don't become deceived by the many. Just meditate on truth, and God may change your state. The universe appears through the breath of divinity, and then like waves ebbing back to the sea is lost in unity. Thus, breath goes through cycles of birth and death.
The title of the following story is Leaving. The focus of the meeting was mysticism. The gathering had been arranged by a spiritual guide who lived in the area. Among those who attended the session were people who gave expression to different degrees of commitment to the purpose, observances, practices, and etiquette of the mystical path. Some of these individuals were long-time spiritual students of the teacher. A certain number of the people in attendance had been involved in one way or another for a lesser time, while others had been newly initiated and still others were merely visiting trying to decide if they wanted to pursue things beyond listening a little or asking questions. Because there are many ups and downs compassed by the mystical journey, there are various events in life which either can plunge one into spiritual doubt and resistance or which can send one soaring with joy and wonder. Moreover, in between these two extreme poles of the path, there is a large area marked by numerous skirmishes of a lesser but still important magnitude through which the tides of spiritual struggle ebb and flow in a million different directions. Every event in the life of a spiritual traveler brings a teaching. Whether or not an individual is open to what is being taught is another matter altogether. Frequently, eating Seemingly, small events may lead to very essential lessons. For example, consider the situation of one of the individuals who was part of the assembly that had been convened by the aforementioned guide. This fellow had been initiated some years before by the spiritual teacher. According to the person's inclinations and circumstances, he had been doing what he could to learn about and put into practice the principles of the mystical way being taught by his teacher. The man liked to ask questions when it was appropriate to do so, and the meeting that had been called had been convened for precisely this purpose, that is, to give people an opportunity to ask whatever questions they wished concerning different aspects of the mystical life. So among those asking questions was this very man. As sometimes happens, one of the questions raised by this individual led to a prolonged answer from the spiritual guide which, for reasons that were not readily apparent, upset the man. Outwardly, this person was still part of the meeting, but inwardly he was far away. As his question was being answered, and as well upon completion of the teacher's remarks, the student had permitted himself to be caught up in some of the many emotional and mental currents that run through his consciousness while he had been listening to the teacher's comments. As a result, before the man knew what was happening, he had become swept away by a very strong undertow that was dragging him down into the murky depths of doubt, fear, anxiety, and panic. Every time he tried to extricate himself from his internal plight, through this or that lifeline of thought or understanding, the man began to be drawn in the direction of a new eddy of uncertainty and difficulty. Within a very short period of time, the man's spiritual condition went from bad to worse. Feeling very despondent and uncomfortable, the man waited for a chance to leave the gathering in an unobtrusive manner. When the right opportunity arose during a break, he began heading for the stairs with the intention of leaving the building. On his way out, he met one of the long-time associates of the spiritual guide who, with a rather surprised expression on his face, said, Are you leaving so soon? Things are just getting interesting. 
In a non-obvious way, the long-time companion briefly studied the man who was leaving and followed up his earlier inquiry with, I like the questions you are asking. The responses which our guide gave in relation to them were very helpful, I feel, to many of these who were in attendance. The man's head nodded in appreciation of the compliment, but his facial expression, along with his rather rueful semi-smile, suggested that the comment had touched on a sensitive issue. The man merely said, Well, I'll see you sometime soon, I'm sure. And he walked away from the teacher's close companion, down the stairs, out of the building, and towards his home. When the assembly once again began the discussion, not very much time had elapsed, before the teacher surveyed the gathering and asked, Where is so-and-so? That is, the man who now was on his way back to his home. The associate, who had met and talked with that individual prior to the latter's leaving the building, informed his teacher that he has gone. He seemed to be upset by something which went on during the meeting, in relation to one of his questions, I think. The teacher turned to another long-time student and requested him to go and bring the man back. Immediately, the individual did as he was asked. About an hour later, the two men came into the room. The teacher motioned for the man who had left in an emotionally distraught condition to come and sit by him. When the man sat down, his guide inquired, Son, why did you leave? The man was reluctant to say anything. Part of this was because he was confused by the whole series of events that had taken place and didn't quite know what to say. And part of his reticence was because he knew he had made a mistake by not asking the teacher's permission to leave the assembly. Finally, feeling rather embarrassed by the whole situation, he said, I was upset by some of the things you were saying in response to my last question. Emotionally, one thing led to another inside of me, and before I knew what had happened, I found myself walking out of the building, heading for home. I apologize for not first seeking your permission to leave, and I hope you will forgive me. The teacher gently said, I didn't call you back because of your lapse in etiquette. Such things happen sometimes, and in the entire scheme of things, that issue is not as important as the principle for which you were brought back. The man began to feel very anxious. What other mistake had he made? His guide smiled at him and said, Dear one, you may leave me, but I cannot leave you. This week's musical interlude is called Discovery.
Out of the 31,536,000 and odd seconds that make up a year, you have been spending your time with the extremely small subset of seconds spanning 365 and a quarter days, which comprise the Sufi Reverberations podcast. I'm going to make you an offer you can't refuse. Well, I suppose all offers can be refused, so I'll amend my opening statement and simply say, I'm going to make you an offer that I hope you won't refuse. I would like to offer you free, and I do mean free, access to all 40 books that I have written, plus 35 pieces of floetry that were composed over the years, as well as five videos and some podcast recordings covering different topics. This is all contained in the Bridge software that is available through my website, www.anab-whitehouse.com. If you go to my website, click the Bridge software choice on the drop-down menu one option, and then discover how to download the Bridge software for free, no strings attached. My hope is that you will like what you find in the software and therefore will be willing to come back and participate in my Patreon campaign to give books to various libraries. But even if you have no interest in supporting the foregoing Patreon campaign, nonetheless, the Bridge software is still yours to have for your personal reading, listening, and viewing experience. The following essay is entitled, Aspirations. There are three general categories of aspiration within us. Normally, only one of these is spiritual in character, and this spiritual aspiration is opposed by, and in conflict with, expressions of the other two categories, namely, passion and anger. The Sufi path involves three broad sets of transformation with respect to aspirations. One set of transformations entails reforming passion and anger so they become spiritual allies instead of liabilities. The other two sets of transformations consist of the purification and perfection of spiritual aspiration, especially in relation to the nature of the modalities or spiritual instruments through which we engage our relationship with God. All three sets of transformations involve changes in the character of the quote-unquote object towards which aspiration is directed. In addition, a transition in the degree of intensity of aspiration occurs in all three transformational sets. More specifically, this change in intensity revolves around the process of becoming less dispersed and more gathered in our intentions, awareness, understanding, and behavior. Although human beings are born with all three categories of aspiration, very shortly after birth, for most of us, passion and anger begin to dominate our lives, while spiritual aspiration is marginalized and relegated to the background. There are, of course, exceptions to this rule, but generally speaking, the unfolding of spirituality to the extent it occurs at all, lags significantly behind the unfolding of passion and anger. 
Passion encompasses all those tendencies within us which seek to acquire. These acquisitive predispositions are directed towards procuring more and more. Material possessions, power, money, fame, status, and physical gratifications of one description or another. Anger includes all the inclinations within each of us which are directed towards defending the passions against anything constituting a threat to past, present, or future acquisitions. Hostility, antagonism, malice, conflict, and rebellion are all expressions of anger in action. If one looks carefully at the situations in which these different modalities of anger arise, one will detect the existence of one or more vested interests of passion at the heart of the issue. By dominating consciousness, intentions, motivations, thinking, attitudes, evaluations, judgments, and behavior, the activities of anger and passion create the illusion of a self which is being served by such activity. In other words, our awareness is mesmerized or a state of hypnosis is induced in consciousness by the activities of anger and passions. As a result, awareness identifies with them as being possessions of and acting on behalf of consciousness. Over time, a history of experiences, decisions, and behaviors is generated. Memories are recorded and used by passion and anger to serve their respective agendas. This entire ensemble of passion, anger, mesmerized awareness, and remembered life history are the primary forces which underwrite the existence of the false self or ego. All aspirations which arise in the context of this ensemble are seen as aspirations of the illusory self. This self has no substantive quality or reality per se. In other words, this self has no existence prior to its invention or construction. The false self or ego is merely an arrangement of convenience and circumstance. It is an artificial business arrangement that has been organized by our various modalities of passion and anger for purposes of carrying on different kinds of commercial transactions with the world. Our God-given capacity for choice is usurped by the false self-conglomerate. Due to the state of hypnotic trance of ordinary consciousness, the process of exercising free will within our capacity to do so is arrogated to the false self through the manipulations, seductions, and pressure tactics of passion and anger. Judgments, decisions, and choices begin to get locked into interacting patterns or habits. These patterns reflect and conform to the collective dynamics of the various components of the false self or ego. Exoteric values, practices, and rituals have two important tasks to perform with respect to the ego conglomerate that has arisen. On the one hand, exoteric teachings try to help the individual close the gap between spiritual aspirations, which for the most part have lagged behind in development, and the dominant influence enjoyed by the aspirations of passion and anger in our day-to-day -day lives. On the other hand, exoteric teachings try to help the individual bring passion and anger into an acceptable spiritual balance. 
The excesses and extremes of passion and anger must be constrained. A middle way of moderation must be discovered which will prevent the individual from transgressing beyond certain boundaries of spiritual propriety. Acquisitiveness and its protector must be trained to pursue their activities within divinely sanctioned parameters of permissibility. Exoteric teachings seek to strengthen the dimension of spiritual aspiration within the individual. At the same time, these teachings provide a framework of moderation which is intended to constrain passion and anger, provided the framework is implemented by our developing spiritual aspiration. If our spiritual aspiration becomes sufficiently mature, then God willing, it begins to influence our capacity for choice. Over time, if everything goes well, we begin to discontinue some of the more injurious patterns of behavior generated through our aspirations of passion and anger. The Sufi path is not content to merely constrain passion and anger. It seeks to transform them. One of the themes of such transformation is to induce, through Sufi discipline, practices, and so on, the individual to change the character of the object which is the focus of passion and anger. Instead of using anger and passion to seek the world, these two modalities of aspiration should be used to seek divinity. However, in order to have a chance of succeeding in achieving the transition in focus from worldly objects to divinity, passion and anger cannot remain as they are. The intention underlying them must change, and as well, passion and anger must come under the sphere of influence of all of the qualities of spiritual etiquette. Intention must become a servant of God. Everything which is done must be done for the love of God. Intention must be purified, so nothing remains but the aspiration to please God. The heart must be trained to collaborate with and give expression to spiritual aspiration. The heart's association with the aspirations of the false self or ego must be discontinued. When, God willing, intentionality and the heart have been purified, then by the grace of God, qualities of spiritual etiquette such as patience, perseverance, forbearance, compassion, and forgiveness come to ascendancy. These qualities have, God willing, a transformative effect on passion and anger, and as a result, passion and anger come to serve spiritual purposes. Under these circumstances, the only aspiration of passion is to seek, know, love, and serve God. Furthermore, the aspiration of anger becomes a tendency to protect this spiritual passion from and defend against anything which would undermine or corrupt it. If God wishes, in later stages of the maturation of spiritual aspiration, different capacities within that potential become experientially active. Although the focus of those experiences always remains God, the structural character, so to speak, of that focus undergoes various kinds of transformation. Sufi masters speak of some of these transformations in terms of gnosis, witnessing, and love. In each case, the experience of divinity changes. Each kind of experiencing involves its own mode of spiritual etiquette. On all levels, God responds to us in accordance with the character of our spiritual aspiration. When spiritual aspiration is at low ebb, God's way of relating to us will reflect the character of that kind of aspiration. 
As the quality intensity of spiritual aspiration undergoes various developmental transformations, so too does God's way of responding to us reflect those spiritual transitions. In reality, God does not change from beginning to end during the journey of development or unfolding of spiritual aspiration. The nature of divinity always is what divinity is. However, as spiritual aspiration goes through various transformations, our essential capacity becomes sensitive and receptive to the modalities of experiencing and realizing divinity, which are consonant with the condition of our aspiration. Consequently, the way God responds to us is merely a reflection of the way we relate to divinity. You have been listening to the Sufi Reverberations Podcast. I hope you will join me next week for a new episode of this program. May peace be your companion. Music